በቀድሚያ የእግዚአብሔር ስም የተመሰገነ ይሁን glory be to the name of our lord who has gathered us here together in his name in his presence in his glory thank you all yoty boston kasis everyone for inviting me to this gubae or or to this gathering and and thank you especially for leading into my talk or my sermon today with your discussion because it's very important we know this from midrawi uh, or an earthly perspective that mothers and fathers are able to feed their children while they're babies because at that point you know that's that's all that could be done the person is not able to take care of themselves yet at that stage of their life but if we continue to be at that stage we're called in medical terms in a vegetative state so we don't want to be in a spiritual vegetative state so it's very important that you continue discussions like these so that you could build up so that you can edify one another through discussing on these spiritual matters so amongst uh let me zoom out a little bit amongst our traditional school what's called abnet or kolotmirtbet there are many kufloch there are many categories and one of those categories is mas'ayftbet or terguamena mas'ayftbet which is the ethiopian school of biblical exegesis or the ethiopian school of interpretation and writings or interpretation and scriptures from that division there is a kufl where the people who are the heads of that are called ligahruyan or chief amongst the elect and those are those who study mas'afa manokosat so that is the book or the books of the monks divide that even further just to show you how vast the teachings of our church are and you have that first section of mas'afa manokosat or the book of monks for marisak or isaac the syrian and there's a a teaching within that book that many great teachers of our church have reminded people during this pandemic and that teaching is called asna obat so uh, excuse me kasis if i mess up any of the sayyaf or the wadaki or the tatai um but that idea is about magbiahin masnat or enduring spending a lot of time in that place where you live where you reside where you spend time the most in your vicinity in your locality nowadays there are modern authors like the orthodox christian one nasim nicholas taleb who i like to talk about often for many different subjects uh, kevin carson many different people joe norman who have papers and books writing about localism but far before they ever did centuries ago in the near east marisak or isaac the syrian wrote about this idea uh, of localism and and one of the beautiful things is today we take we're taking this idea of temptation and we're trying to find the string of thought of temptation and attack it from every angle i heard of you uh attacking it from the angle of what's the role of the devil and satan i'll be i'll be talking about that actually beginning with that so you'll see so it's it's very timely we didn't plan this all out and i'm i'm glad that i put the extra pressure on you all to to maintain the control of the discussion so that i'm not influencing it and we could see that without me influencing it we're going to have the same strains of thought when you are led by the same spirit you will be on the same page and you will see that in different times in different places in different languages and i'll try to display that myself so 
Asnobat, or enduring your entrance, or localism, is about staying on one topic or one idea, and it's typically done in our in our church by going through an entire book at one time. Now today, rather than going through one book, what we're doing is taking this one idea, or excuse me, or topic or theme, and that is temptation, and we're tracing it. So that's often called systematic theology, seeing how one idea of temptation displays itself in various areas. Um, if you want to see more at-length, book-length study, I would suggest you go to ephesusschool.org, which is called the Ephesus School Network. It's a network of Orthodox Christian clergy like myself. The rest of them are actually all priests. I'm the only deacon on there. And um, they have in written form, in blog, in audio form, and also in YouTube or video form, different takes on whole books of the Bible. And, and they are releasing material Monday through Thursday. So four days a week, eventually the idea is to get it five days. Sometimes I'm releasing interviews on there too. So sometimes you could, could get up to five days a week. And in any event, that will take you on a more book by book study. That's where I have my Tawahado Bible study. But here today, yeah, I could type it in the chat. Ephesus. Excuse me. Um, so any of those two resources will work in Spotify, Apple, or Google, or just the main website, ephesusschool.org, and you see many resources for book-length studies. But right now, we're focusing on the one topic of temptation. And so you led into it thinking about Jesus in the desert. I heard one of you say that, which I, I appreciate. That's an interesting one because the word temptation is not used. So it's it's the, the concept or the narrative, the story of temptation without the actual word. Today, I'm going to go through the actual places in the Bible where we see the word explicitly in the New Testament. But before we get into the New Testament, I want to get to the Older Testament. Uh, thank you, Heywan, for Salatabab Um And then I want to start off in the Old Testament where we don't see the word, but where we see the idea or the concept beginning. And so to start off, in the Older Testament, like I said, the word is not explicitly there in the analysis that I'm presenting today, so it's more the idea. But if we were to talk about the word in the Older Testament, Hebrew is the majority language, and the minority language is Aramaic. So those are the languages that have to be examined when doing any serious study of any concepts like this. Since most of my references will be from the New Testament, where it is explicitly mentioned, I had to look up the Greek. I don't, again, I don't know Greek, but I do every effort that I can to examine it in what are called interlinear texts. You can go to BibleGateway.com, for example, and type the Mount's interlinear text. That's one I use, but I don't make many, any money off of them. So you could use any interlinear text that you want so you can see it transliterated. That means like when you see our names, which come from Giz, and you see them written in English, that's... many issues there are with sometimes we have the same name people named Henok, for example have like three four different ways of saying the name Henok. so just think about that and you'll be able to search it in different dictionaries like strong's dictionary or whichever dictionary you can to find the meaning so in the new testament the important language is greek and in the greek the word temptation is 
Erasmus or Pirasmus. That's P-E-I-R-A-M-O-S or P-I-R-A-M-O-S, A-S-M-O-S. So people may spell it or transliterate it differently. Bicha, go and find that word and you can see how different people are arguing and studying that. The Roman bishop or the pope, as they call him, had a decision about a couple years ago to change the translation of the Lord's Prayer in English because of a discussion that they were having around this word temptation. I personally don't go necessarily with that. Um, there's an Orthodox Christian scholar named David Bentley Hart, who I will again mention later. He has a whole copy of the New Testament that I have the, the audio version of that's very literal. And he also has his own ideas about this word. Father Paul Nadim Tarazi, who's heavily involved, another Orthodox Christian scholar, heavily involved with the Ephesus School Network, has another perspective on this word. Uh, again, one of those uh, podcasts, Teach Me Thy Statutes, has a Father Aaron Warwick, who also has tackled this issue. So many people have so many different ideas about temptation. So I'm glad that you had this holistic view or attempt to discuss it. it it's not easy. So when I looked it up in the dictionary, Erasmus or Pirasmus, temptation has all of these meanings. Temptation can mean by itself, temptation. It could mean a trial, like I had a trial or I went to court and had a trial. It could mean a test, like why are you testing me or your teacher giving you a test. In that same vein, it could be an exam or an examination. It could be a probation or a probationary period. Like if any of you have ever been in trouble at school and then maybe you're in a probationary period or you know people who are incarcerated or in jail and when they come out, they're in a probationary period, which is a temporary period where they're free, but they're kind of not free because they're being watched in a certain way. It could mean experiment. And later on, and this is funnier because it shows how the point of view or the perspective can change everything, it can mean a calamity or an affliction, which is something that is terrifying, something that is fearful, something that is awe-inspiring. So temptation can be all of these things, temptation, trial, examination, probation, experiment, calamity, affliction. The same one word, pirasmos, can mean all of these different things. So now we're going to examine it. Today I'll be reading from the New King James Version. There's no perfect translation in English. I want to make that clear. We do not have yet an EOTC that has been fully translated uh, a Bible. So we, we just simply don't have it. So I, I uh, find myself going through the Revised Standard Version, which is the RSV, the NRSV, the New King James Version, sometimes the King James Version. It really depends how I feel. I have a few other Bibles as well that I won't get into now because it may confuse you, but I focus on those which are very literal and then those which are more thought for thought to, to try to see, you know, what are the differences of opinions? What is the debate going on? In any event, I'm just going to read for you verse 1 of chapter 3 in Genesis or Orid Zephutaret. And that is the first book of the Bible. And so it is the first place where we see this temptation. In fact, it has a header in the New King James uh, Version, which says the temptation and the fall of man. But in the original Bible, there are no headers. And in the text itself, we don't see the word temptation, but we see the idea or the narrative of the story. 
temptation. It's a story I'm sure a lot of you know well, so I'm just going to read the one line. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So now, you know, the serpent knows very well what God has said, and he is giving an invitation to our father Adam and to our mother Eve, to the groundling and to the mother of the living, to sin, to be disobedient. He's giving them a counter offer of disobedience to the offer of God for obedience. The entire biblical story can be summed in Genesis 1 to 11. And if you really want to push the point hyperbolically in Genesis 1 to 4. So I'm going to have a forthcoming book on that subject. In this temptation in chapter 3, in this trial, in this exam, in this calamity or affliction, we see an experiment gone wrong. We see our father Adam and we see our mother Eve failing the test. The story of humanity and the story of the sacred scriptures in which we have the revealed truth of God, of the living God, not like the dead statues or the other idols, is the story of human failure and in the mercy of God who gives us second chances. Our living God, the author of life, is the God of second chances. The entire biblical story follows this randomly selected people, Israel, which is the other name for Jacob, who's the son of Isaac, who's the son of Abraham, right? A randomly selected sample population who repeatedly and hyperbolically, almost unreasonably, fails and fails and fails, is constantly disobedient to God. Almost every other set of literature, you see either some failure and some success, like in the hero's journey that you'll see in most movies play out, like in The Lion King or in Star Wars, all these classic heroic films. And yet, in the Holy Scriptures, they're always, always, always failing. Other people will tell you how great their forefathers were. And here we have the authors of Scripture, led by the Holy Spirit, telling us how they failed and were disobedient until the one obedient, one-of-a-kind Son of God, our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, comes on the scene in the New Testament and gives people the ultimate New Testament, new chance, second chance or second opportunity to change their ways and to live their lives responsibly by being obedient to God. So, Perasmos, or temptation, the trial, the test, is God's opportunity or chance for us to correct the disobedience of our forefathers and our foremothers with our own individual and communal obedience. Communal as a church community and individual as us. We have responsibility to be obedient to God by ourselves, and we have the responsibility to help all of the people in our church community also be obedient until our last breath or until we pass away and fall asleep in the Lord 
or until he comes back again, as we say in our Manot, and as our brother and sister beautifully prayed for us earlier, until he comes back to judge the living and the dead, which the church calls in its dogmatics, Tinsai Zagubai, or the gathering or the resurrection of all. So the next text we're going to look at is also in the Older Testament, is in Job chapter 1. Job is a phenomenal book, has 42 chapters. Whenever I have hazen or sorrow, I find myself going back to the book of Job, and I encourage you to do that. Either the book of Job or anything in the wisdom literature, like Mas'afa Makbub, right? Like Ecclesiastes are great for times of hazen or sorrow. Of course, the Psalms of David or Mazmura Dawid as well, all the wisdom literature. So Job chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 6 to 12 here and then later 21. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and the Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to the Satan, From where do you come? So the Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to the Satan, Have you considered my servant or my slave, Job, Eyob, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So the Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job or does Eyob fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household? and around all that he has on every side, you have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person it means don't hurt him don't take his life so the satan went out from the presence of the lord it's an amazing scene and it plays out for 42 chapters and he begins by taking away his wife his children and all of his possessions and there's this fantastic line it's very close to my heart my tete my grandmother um, my last grandparent, she passed away about eight months ago. And in, it was eerie. In the past year of her life, she, she was always uh, quoting good psalms to me. Um, she has a five to seven hundred year old Mazmura Dawit that she would often pray for. You know, it's the prayers of our grandmothers that, that keep us here and keep us enduring in our faith till this very day. But anyway, in the last year of her life, every time I would talk to her, which was not as often as I should have, but every time I talked to her, she would quote this to me in Giz from Mas'afa Iyob. So in addition to her, her Mas'afa Dawid, she knew her Iyob, at least partially, in Giz as well. And it was eerie because it was towards the end of her life. And, and I felt, you know, I felt that that was happening. I, of course, you know, I didn't have any premonitions. I didn't know when exactly it was going to happen. But she kept saying to me, Lijie, Lijie, Mas'afa Ndihilan, Ixiavhir Wanassa, the full line 
um, let me take out the, the full line because there's a preceding line that she didn't mention, but it's from verse 21 here. Um, verse 20, actually. No, no, 21. Naked, this is the part that she didn't say. Naked, I came from my mother's womb and naked, I shall return there. And in the King James famous language, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. I'm sure you may have heard that before. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. His wife taken away, his children taken away. Uh, his possessions, his goats, his donkeys, whatever he had taken away. And what does he say? Blessed be the name of the Lord. He giveth and he taketh. He gives and he takes away. It's an acknowledgement that God is always in control. I heard, I heard you all mentioning Satan or the devil, so it's, it's interesting, like I said, that I had already prepared that without speaking to you all about that. And, and we have to remember the functionality of Satan or the devil because it's not some old Canaanite religion where God has an equal. God has no equal. When the Gospel of Luke comes out and in the Psalms, we say, Who is like you? Who resembles you amongst the gods? Nobody. People have these little deities, these demigods, these gods and goddesses that they, that they claim to have, but nobody is like our God. Our God is always on his throne. He's always seated. He's always a shepherd. He's always our pastor. He's always feeding his flock and taking care of us. And he's always in control. So whenever temptation or a test or an exam, an experiment, a calamity or an affliction, in our point of view, comes across us, we need not fear. We are never to be afraid of Satan. We are to shun him. We are to renounce him. We say, as you said earlier in our prayers, we say, we deny you, we renounce you, we shun you. That's what we say in our baptismal rite as well. But we are not to fear him. Not now, not ever. So in Genesis, we see humanity failing in obedience, failing the test, failing the temptation. In Eul, we see someone who's not even a Jew, someone in a far-off land, even in the Old Testament, showing us that the Gentiles, all of humanity, were always a part of God's plan, being obedient. We have all these Israelites being disobedient, who are the people of God, the chosen ones. We're the insiders. Remember, we're Israel's enoughs. We are Israel of the soul, of the breath of life, the new Israel, the inherited Israel. So we as insiders have to watch out that outsiders are not being more obedient to God than us. And so here we have Eob. He's not amongst the children of Israel, according to the flesh, but he is according to the spirit. Remember, God said he can make children of Abraham, which means children of the covenant, out of rocks. Even Peter is called the rock. So think about that. Think about the role of the word dingai or dingairas as an insult in our culture. And think about, even if we were to call someone that, God, with the snap of his finger, 
because he's greater than Thanos, can change that person to be one of his children. He has even spoken through donkeys and made them the crown of his glory as he entered into Hosina or Palm Sunday. So think about he could use anyone or any animal at any time because he's always in control. So in Genesis, we have a failure of the temptation or a failure of the test. And in Job, we have a passing of the test. Now we'll move on to the Newer Testament and see a series of scriptures, briefly going through each of them so that we can examine and see the role of temptation. I'll take you in canonical order. So we'll start off with Evangelia Matthews or the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 6, verse 13. And do not lead us into temptation. This is Salota Exi, or the Lord's Prayer, which we also prayed in our daily prayers. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. So in the Lord's Prayer, what we have is we're pleading with the Lord. We're begging the Lord to delay the test. We are living our lives every day on the daily bread. The physical or the daily bread according to the flesh is the food that sustains us from day to day. The spiritual daily bread is the instruction of the Lord, the word of life, the kalahiwat that teaches us how to live. And when we're not quarantined, like the way we are now, and especially if we visit the monasteries in Ethiopia, all the great ones, we can go and have the ultimate daily bread, which is his own flesh and his own blood on a daily basis by receiving kurban, by receiving the communion, or by receiving the Eucharist. So while we're doing that now, there's a present day of judgment that we talked about. Judgment day is the final test. It's the final temptation, right? So this is why people argue about the words. This word temptation refers to a test. And the final test is It's that guest or that unknown date in which the Lord will return, his second advent, his second coming. The tensaiza wubaye right? One of the five pillars of our mystery, the resurrection of the dead and the judgment thereof. So on that day, there is a big test. So when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're saying, we don't know when the test is, but please, please make it next week. Not today. Give us forbearance. People with student loans, I don't know if any of you are old enough to have student loans like me. People with student loans ask for forbearance. And Yom, some of them, Sharash, are asking
Give us one second, everyone. We're having a bit of technical difficulties with Dalcon Hanok's connection. Can you hear me? Yeah, well, yes, we can hear you. Can you all hear me? Yes, we can hear you, Dublin. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for being patient with me. The power just went out again in my neighborhood. You're good, you're good. We can hear you and see you. Okay. Well, <laughs> we have to roll with the punches. This itself is a form of temptation. This is a teaching within a teaching or a parable within a parable. Sometimes we have to learn from this. I've just begun talking about the temptations in the newer Testament and we get a, an, a temptation that maybe we're more familiar with back home. Uh, is a great preacher and teacher in our church. And he said something very interesting recently when people were asking him about the coronavirus to talk, both in secular avenues and in our church's official YouTube at EOTC TV from the Synod, from the Holy Synod. He said, what was interesting is that whether it's the most country bumpkin in Ethiopia or whether it's the height of people's power in America, everyone has shown themselves to be made equal. We all knew that, you know, death is due to all mortals. As we say when we remember the arrest of Our Lady, the Holy Virgin Mary, we know that death is due to all people who die or death is due to all mortals. And so we knew everyone was going to eventually be six feet under. But even before that happened, here we are, and we get a reminder from God about how frail we are. Sometimes we might get cocky or arrogant or haughty in the United States, and we might think that we are above and beyond the ability to feel pain, to feel suffering, to feel third world problems. And yet, here we are, and we are receiving the same level of treatment from the Lord, the Lord who chooses to shine the sun on all people, the Lord who chooses to also have rain fall down upon all people is showing us the equality that we all have. So in any event, in the Lord's prayer, what we are asking for when we say, lead us not into temptation is do not bring us to the trial. That's how other people are translating it nowadays with their newer scholarship. Do not bring us to the final judgment. Delay, forbear. Please, save it for later. We're not ready. I know you gave us a second chance, but please give us another chance. Allow us to keep going. Allow us another breath of life to resist the devil, to renounce the devil, 
to shame him by being obedient to you. The next verse I want to look at is in Mark. We have the gospel according to Marcos or Mark, chapter 14, verse 38. Here, the Lord is giving advice to his followers. He says, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is another one of those iconic phrases in the English language. The English language, the majority of the idioms of the sayings of the Zeyve are from the King James Version. It's a little difficult for contemporary readers to follow along, but that's why I go with the New King James Version a lot of the times. Again, I, I consult other ones because it's not a perfect translation. It has a lot missing and some errors. But overall, it has this reserved beauty of speech and these ababaluch, or these proverbs, these sayings that we all know. Watch and pray lest you enter into perasmus into temptation, into the trial, into the test, into the calamity or affliction. Watch out for judgment day. Your spirit, your thoughts, your will may be there, but your flesh is weak. That means we cannot be lazy. That means we cannot be slothful. We cannot be slow. We can't take days off. The apostle in Hebrews, says, as the day approaches, meaning not mañana, but meaning judgment day, we don't need to reduce the amount of times that we gather. We need to increase them. Okay, coronavirus is here. Does that mean we need to do less church? We have an excuse to not go to church, to not learn anymore, to not learn how to be obedient to God by loving the visible neighbors in front of us? to reflect glory upon on our invisible yet living God. No, it means we need to gather more. So may the Lord bless you all for gathering more. In addition to Sunday, here you are on Saturday. I believe during this Om, it was every day. This kind of regularity is amazing and prepares us again to reflect the lives of the monastics, which are reflecting the lives of the angels in Isaiah and in Revelation, who always say to him, Kadus, 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 holy, holy, holy. The next line I want us to look at is in the Pauline epistles, is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Here, there are huge sections, especially, you could say 9 to 11, but really 10 and 11, where the Apostle Paul is warning the Corinthian church to be careful in how they are administering and receiving the communion. And he says amidst this, no temptation, perasmos, no temptation, no test, no trial, no experiment, no calamity, no affliction has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, notice, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape 
that you may be able to bear it. So the Lord, if we trust in his voice, if we trust that he is the Nolawi that he is the shepherd that has no sleep, that is always in control, and if we listen to the voice, he will be like someone who's got a master security camera and we are going into an escape room, which is all the craze nowadays. I don't know if any of you have done those escape rooms in Boston, but he's as if he's got a master camera and he watches and he knows the maze and he made the maze and he knows the way out. So he will guide us out. But not if we sit on our laurels, not if we're lazy or slothful, but if we continually seek him and continually say, May your will be done. Or as it is iconically known in English, Thy will be done. So for constantly seeking him and begging him, give us the grace of the Holy Ghost so that we may be able to escape this temptation. And if we have faith, here it says, God is faithful. He's loyal. Do not trust in the loyalty of your rulers. Do not trust in the loyalty of your friends. We are all human beings. We are all sons of Adam, sons of the groundling, and thus sons of the dust. O Adam, you are the ground. You are the dust. And unto the dust you shall return. Unto the ground you shall return. We are temporary. And yet God is forever. God is eternal. God is faithful. And so if we place our trust in him and ask him to get us out of temptation, he will do it. Verse six, or excuse me, I said verse six. Um, the next point I have is First Timothy chapter six, verse nine. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and in perdition. But ifat yasam This is amazing. So the temptation or the test to be rich, the lifestyle that maybe some of you are too young to remember being flaunted in exhibits old show, right, of displaying phenomenal cribs or phenomenal houses, but maybe you'll still see in the culture of hip-hop writ large or, or really the culture writ large, people who want to have a ton of cars, a ton of giant homes. In the Bible, it uses agrarian or farm analogy, so it says people who want giant guatara or giant grain fields, right? But who tell, who tell their, their nafs, eat, drink, enjoy yourself, but forget the starving person next to them. Forget the naked homeless next to them. Those people are falling into temptation. That means they're failing the test. They're being disobedient to the royal law, to the law of love. So they're being snared. They're being trapped. It's like a mouse trap or a bear trap. Riches, wealth are traps for us. That's why Marisak or Isaac the Syrian 
Saint Basil the Great, John Chrysostom, they were furious, furious in warning you about the traps of not attending to the poor, not attending to the needy. In fact, James, who I'm going to get to next in chapter 1, I think towards the end of verse 21, says that the right religion is the one who takes care of the Eberrat and the Gualamauta, of the orphan and of the widow. That is orthodoxy. That is the right religion. But in verse 12 of the same chapter, he says, Bis'u, blessed is the man who endures temptation. Blessed is the man who endures an experiment. Blessed is the man who endures affliction. Blessed is the man who passes his exam. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Remember Solomon, for however wise he was, fell into the temptation of having 800 wives and eventually fled after their gods and did idolatrous things. Johnny Depp, who a lot of you may have seen in the Pirates of the Caribbean, a lot of other movies, is one of those people who got a ton of money and he lost a lot of money because he tried to have 20 houses. So even before the final judgment, when God is judging him, he is getting judged on earth by his own financial recklessness. In our own church, in Mistera Taklil, in the mystery of holy matrimony, we see the bride and the groom, which are the ultimate example of our Lord Jesus and the church, wearing a phenomenal cape and a glorious crown. A nice Allah Zaud or Akhlid. And that crown of theirs is to remind us of the crowns of the martyrs. Like just yesterday, our church celebrated the crown of the martyr Georgis or Saint George. And his crown, like all the crowns of the martyrs, are there because they followed the path of the Lord and they passed the test. We know that they got an A on their exam because their last breath was spewed in honor of the Lord. We see gruesome photos and icons sometimes with their heads cut off, like with Georgis and with John the Baptist, Johannes Matmak or Matmak Malakwad. And yet, we are joyful. We sing songs. We chant. Why? Because we have faith. We have the utmost trust that they are blessed. Because those men endured the exam. They passed the test. They have been approved and received the crown of life that James or the Apostle Jacob here is telling us about. It's amazing. And even if we are not able to get all the way to that stage, martyrdom has steps. In the Giz and in the Greek, martyr and sama'it or sama'e mean confession or testimony in addition to the martyrdom we know of, of dying for our Lord. So it's the same word. It's not a different word. To give witness, to give testimony, is to die. It's the same word. There's no difference in the word. In English, we use a different word. We say testimony, and then we say martyrdom. In Giz, it's not like that. In Greek, it's not like that. Martyr, martyr. 
Sama'e, Sama'e, Sama'et, Sama'et. It's one word. You give testimony. You give witness. You give your life. There's a story of a, a, a half Sudanese, half Ethiopian Orthodox Christian who was told to deny Christ. She did not deny Christ. She took her mother's faith. She did not deny Christ. She was ready for death. And in the last minute, through international efforts, she was saved. Those people are called confessors because they were ready for death, but death did not see them. They were taken out, just like Salas Tudakik or the three youths. They were ready for death, and yet they were not put to death in that moment. Just like Hasanu wa just like Kirkos and Iluta. They were ready for death, and yet they're saved. They were tempted. They were given a test, an experiment, a calamity, an affliction. And yet they were approved. They were given that crown of life, that crown of martyrdom. And so even if we don't get to that stage, there are moments when we are persecuted, like the early Christians in Nero, like the Christians of China today, or even in our peer groups at school or in our workplaces, we may be mocked by our friends for fasting. We may be mocked for giving away our money, for giving alms, for wanting to pray communally, for wanting to pray as individuals. We may be mocked for prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, for taking care of the orphan, the widow, for spending all this time in our church communities. And yet, on the last days, it is the mockers who will be mocked. It is the scoffers who will be scoffed at. Because it says in Psalm 2, He who is enthroned in heaven laughs. He scoffs at them. Because we are following the way of the cross, the way of sacrificial love, the way of passing through the temptation. The last scripture I'll read to you is from 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. For those of you who are curious with Mas'afa Henok, maybe for another day too, there's still a lot I don't know about it. One of the things that I do know about it is that the letters of Peter the letter of Jude and some other select parts of the Bible are very, very, very obvious allusions to Masafa Henok or the book of Enoch. It's a story for another day. For right now, the Lord, as I've been telling you, delivers the godly, those who try to seek after him, those who try to be holy like he is holy, who try to be perfect like he is perfect. Those who believe and trust in him put their utmost trust, their superlative trust in him that he will give them an escape. And he reserves the unjust under punishment. Whether it's some of the old fathers of the church, sometimes Marisak, Gregory, the theologian, Origen, whether it's newer people like David Bentley Hart or the folks at Public Orthodoxy at Fordham, you may come across people who are very intellectual and who are correct on a lot of matters 
in our church. And yet here, they want to take away God's role as judge. He has many roles, but his ultimate role is judge. They want to tell you apocastasis. They want to say everyone is going to be saved. It's possible that everyone is going to be saved, but that decision is God's decision and it's not ours. And the church has been consistent on this throughout time and place for thousands of years now. On the other end of the perspective, you have the Protestants who will try to tell you they're saved now. They'll ask you if you're saved right now. And, you know, they say with such utter confidence, confidence that the Apostle Paul didn't have elsewhere, how he talks about he needs to watch out that he is standing to make sure that he does not fall. So confidence that the Apostle Paul, of all people who should have confidence, does not have. They try to assert now. The proper position is to know what Scripture says, that the Lord will save whom he pleases. If he wants to save no one and damn everyone, that's his right. If he wants to save all people, that's his right. If he wants to save some people and not others, that's his right. The important thing for us is to remember that he taught us from from Genesis to John's revelation and throughout the history of the church. He has taught us that Pirasmos or pirasmos, temptation, trials, tests, exams, examinations, probations, experiments, calamities, afflictions are all second chances. They're all opportunities for us. So, the loving kindness of His is eternal, is everlasting. His mercy endures forever. As we say that, we need to live our lives seeking Him and seeking to love every single person we encounter, no matter what happens, and always calling upon his name to save us. Glory be to God for all things. Thank you for having me. May we hear the word of life. Thank you everyone for participating. Due to the time, we will not be doing a Q&A. But we'll be moving on to Mesmur because time kind of ran out. Um, our sister, Bethlehem, will be delivering a closing Mesmur for us. So, Bethlehem, if you can unmute yourself. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah, we can hear you. Okay. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. The stars that shine in the darkness Fountains of hope in the desert. Listen to the march of the martyrs and heroes and fighters of the faith, defenders of the faith. The stars that shine in the darkness. Fountains of hope in the desert. Listen to the march of the martyrs, the heroes and fighters of the faith, defenders of the faith, the first martyrs, thanksgiving. 
while they were stoning you, you showed your mercy, for that you saw in the heavens, the Holy Trinity, how you lived and died is Christ's reflection, and your faith inspires our generation. Oh, St. Stephen, the first martyr, defender of the faith, the stars that shine in the darkness, fountains of hope in the desert. Aha, listen to the march of the martyrs. The heroes and fighters of the faith, defenders of the faith, the Armenian virgins, when the king lusted after your beauty, he did and you kept yourself in purity. You loved Christ till death with true affection, and your faith inspires our generation. Oh, St. Tarsima, the Armenian virgin, defender of the faith, the stars that shine in the darkness, fountains of hope in the desert, Listen to march of the martyrs, the heroes and fighters of the faith, defenders of the faith, Saint George, the Roman soldier. With your faith in Christ, you slay the beast in the heaven to sing. Today with the high priest, you overcame trials and tribulations, and your faith inspires our generation. Oh, St. George, the Roman soldier, defender of the faith, the stars that shine in the darkness, Fountains of hope in the desert. Aha, listen to the march of the martyrs, the heroes and fighters of the faith, defenders of the faith, the 30 martyrs of Orthodox, enemies of Christ, they wage the war. You answer the call on the Libyan shore. You received your crown with persecution, and your faith inspires our generation. Oh, martyrs of the Libyan shore, defenders of the faith. The stars that shine in the darkness, fountains of hope in the desert. Aha, listen to the march of the martyrs, the heroes and fighters of the faith, defenders 
The faith, the stars, will shine in the darkness. Fountains of hope in the desert ahead. Listen to the march of the martyrs, the heroes and fighters of the faith, defenders of the faith. Let's walk, let's go here.